0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. If you're new today, I'm truly grateful that you're here, that you came out, and uh, so glad that you're here. I want to share this morning about what happens when our insufficiency meets God's provision. What happens when the fact that we don't know enough, don't have enough resources, aren't smart enough, can't do... Meets the sufficiency that God can do. All of us in life have those situations that we run into time and time and time again. Some are serious, some are comical. I remember one that I look back now for me as comical, but at the time it wasn't very funny. I had uh, two of my boys, my uh, two younger sons, and I had been on a kind of a three or four day canoe and camping trip. And uh, we were back in the, the canoe wilderness, like there's no motors allowed, so it's only canoes and kayaks, and you kind of hop from pond to pond, and we had heard a storm was coming. We were supposed to come out anyway that that later that day, and uh, we could kind of see the skies coming, so we kind of meandered our way and got to where we had to a railroad tracks so we had to drag this big heavy canoe up over you know the railroad tracks and all the stuff and just as we got to the edge there it started raining like pretty hard and we thought okay we're at least got one more lake to cross you know I don't know half hour 45 minutes to the other side and just as we got all our stuff, and it's pouring rain, I got we got into the canoe and got my son. I think uh, Titus, I think he was like seven or eight years old. So he just rode in the middle. I'm like, your job is to stay dry. That's all I need you to do right now. <laughs> you know, just keep that poncho on, stay dry. We'll get to the other side. And as soon as we just started pushing the boat off. And just as I was hopping into it, I mean, right in front of us across the lake, a big clap of lightning, just, I mean, the kind where you hear it and see it at the same time just hit, I mean, literally like right on the other side of the lake. And I thought, that's a bad idea. I think we're getting out of the boat, boys, you know. And so we kind of hop back in and kind of under the pine tree. And it's just, I mean, the storm's just pouring down and I'm just like, you can't get a break. And then the thunder and lightning finally let up, and I'm like, the storm's still blowing. I mean, the waves just across the water were going, you know, heavy. And I said, let's try it, guys, because the, the thunder and the lightning had gone away. We didn't do, what is it, was it, 30 minutes? Is that what the requisite, like any lifeguards in the room, you can't hear thunder for 30 minutes? You guys say, well, I have no clue. Some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you don't. We didn't do any of that. Like the thunder, lightning had moved off. You're like, okay, I think we can go for it. So we hopped in, and we paddled and paddled. I mean hard. I don't have a keel on my canoe, so it doesn't, you know, in the wind. And I literally, I could not keep, we could not keep the bow straight, could not, the wind pushed it. I just, no matter what I could do. And by then, the water was filling the boat. I'm like, Titus, now you need to bail, son. Like, we got, you know, like, help us out here in the middle of it. And it was brutal and i had to get back it was like a we had a church thing that night so it was early afternoon and i'm like i've got to get across this lake i couldn't do it so we let the wind push us over to the shore and i kind of realized i'm like i can go faster if i just get out of the boat and walk along the shore and pull the stupid thing you know and just So we did that for half an hour and kind of got to a point and kind of a point of no return. We still need to either go right across the whole thing or I was going to take like another two hours to walk around this whole lake. And I kind of said, guys, I think it's let up enough for it. I think we can go for it. And we did. Three tries it took us to get across that lake. Three tries. It's still to this day kind of the, the storm that we measure all of our outings by and we kind of look back on. You know, life is like that. Sometimes you really can't get to the other side. Sometimes when things are in our life and things that are happening and we can't accomplish what we want to. We run into those walls. We run into those situations. We're going to see this morning that Jesus kind of contrives the situation that his apostles run into. And he wanted them to realize clearly their insufficiencies that they were not up to the task, that they could not do what they needed to do, what needed to be done, and that he, as the Lord of heaven and earth, would have to step in and to provide and to solve. So read with me, if you would, the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's the only miracle that all four of the Gospels record. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, outside of the resurrection, they all talk about Jesus is alive. That's the greatest miracle ever and ever will be. But this is the only miracle that all four talked about. Obviously, it was indelible in their minds. It was just written there, and it's a touchstone for their life. So read with me in verse 6. The Bible says uh, in in chapter 6 of John, verse 1, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He didn't have a storm on this one. The storm comes later when he tries to come back, actually, uh, which is also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. He was healing people, and they saw it. They were amazed, and they wanted to be with Jesus. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, "'Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat?' Jesus was in the area of Philip's hometown. He was from Bethsaida, so it would be natural. Hey, Philip, you're the local. Where can we get enough food for these guys? Where can we feed everybody? Look what Jesus was doing in verse 6. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus just wanted Philip to experience his insufficiency for the task. Philip answered in verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little bit. 200, one day's wage was one denarii, so about eight months of pay. Philip was like, yeah, you can't even buy enough Happy Meals for like, like this is like a lot of money, Jesus. Like We're talking tens of thousands of dollars and everybody would get a bite. It wouldn't even fill everybody. Like this is not possible, Jesus. What are you talking about? The issue isn't where we're going to buy it. The issue is we don't even have enough money to buy that. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, said to him, "There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many?" John is clearly wanting us to know the situation. People weren't lugging their coolers around. They hadn't planned on lunch. There was no resources. Some little boy, John's the only one that tells us it's a boy, uh, apparently there was one mom in the crowd that knew to pack lunch for her son, right? So like five, don't think of five like, you know, Freyhofer loaves. Think of, you know, little, little things, right? And don't think fish. Think, Little things, maybe a couple little sardine kind of things. Like she packed them lunch. I don't know if she was with friend, he was with friends or whatever. But Andrew's like, yeah, I checked the crowd out. Nobody's got food. I think he was hoping it was like Taco Tuesday, and that just like he missed the food trucks. That you know, let's there are there food trucks coming to deliver. I don't know, but he searched the crowd and he's like, all I came up with are this little this kid little boy. He's got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said in verse 10, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Matthew tells us it was 5,000 men besides women and children. So we're talking, what, 10, 15,000 people? I mean, this is a a lot of people. A lot of people. In verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves. I guess he took the little kids' lunch. I've never taken anybody's lunch money, but Jesus did. He gave it back to him with interest, I presume. Um, but he, dis- and he, he t- took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself." Such an amazing event, such an amazing story. If, if, if Kids, if, if when you were growing up, if you went to church, no doubt you read this multiple times in your kids' classes or whatever, but what an amazing story. So Jesus is there with his apostles, and he looks up, and 15,000 people are coming his way. I mean, he could see them from afar off. And he just turns to Philip and says, you know, it's late in the day. We know from the other gospel writers, it's late in the day. So they were getting hungry. In fact, Jesus was a little concerned, you know, are they going to be able to get back home okay? Because they were traveling, they didn't have, weren't just hopping in the car and driving. He says, Philip, where are we going to buy food for all these people? Can you imagine? Philip's like, what are you talking about? It would be like coming to church and me telling, you know, the pastor's like, hey, we're going to provide lunch for all the gilded. And you'd be like... What? <laughs> like, what planet are you on? That's insane. Why would you want to do that? And where are we going to get the money? But Jesus wanted Philip to feel the responsibility to minister and provide while recognizing that he was completely incapable and ins- insufficient to meet that demand. First thing I want us to recognize is. Is that God wants us to fully see our insufficiency as people. He wants us to be really acquainted with it. The problem is, is when you and I see our insufficiency, it's a scary place to be. It's an uncomfortable place to be. As a dad with a seven or eight-year-old in a boat, and that's a silly thing I can look back on and laugh. It's a great memory, but I tell you in the time, There was some trepidation and fear going on. Like, should we go? Should we not? I got to get back. I got responsibilities. Oh my goodness, this is crazy. How in the world did this happen? It's one thing when you're inside and see a storm blowing. It's another thing when you're outside getting soaked. But when you're on water, I don't care if it's in, in the ocean or if you're in a canoe. But when the waves are going and your boat's like this and it's filling up, and the literally the waters are breaking over the bow, and you're just like, this is nuts. It's scary, but God wants in our life, for you and for me, to become regularly acquainted with our insufficiencies. He wants us to know what we're made of. Jesus said this to test Philip. He wanted, Jesus knew what Philip was made of, by the way. He wasn't trying to figure out Philip, not, not kind of like, almost see what this guy's made of kind of thing, he, he wanted Philip to know that Philip was completely incapable, had no ability to obey God, to do what God, what Jesus himself was telling him to do. So many of the experiences of your life and in my life, we look at them and we miss that. We see the situation just kind of with a horizontal living, and so often we go through life and we just kind of live horizontally. We just think about the You know, the happenings of the day and what's going on. Do we wear a mask or not? Do we do this or do we not? And what's going on in our world? And it's so easy in our lives to miss the vertical aspect, the aspect that God is at work in the world around us, that He is aware and He's intimately speaking into our lives and situations and he wanted Philip to realize that in the middle of this world that, that he as the Lord of heaven and earth was wanting to do something for this crowd but that Philip himself was completely incapable. Philip took one tack to say, we don't have enough money. I know we can buy lunch, but there's not enough money if we could pull it off. Andrew, I, still to this day, I look back, I'm like, what did he do? Just go survey the crowd? Was there little kids standing nearby? This is kind of more the picture I get. You know, if you ever little kids, it would be like a you know, like a five year old. Mom and dad get a heavy bill, no, how are we gonna pay for it? You know, kids kind of pick up on stuff. They're like well, mom, here's my, you know, here's my piggy bank. I've got $1.50. Will that cover it for you? You know, as a parent, you're like, thank you, you know, but just in the innocence of the child. I almost wonder if that's what the little boy did. Heard the commotion was there over here, and he's like, Well, I've got lunch, you know, you can have mine. Is that enough? I don't know. But regardless, God wants you and I to become so acquainted with our insufficiencies. And here's here's really the reason why. It's because without us being aware of how much we are lacking, how much we are just insufficient for the demands of life, without realizing that, we will never come to see God in all of his glory. We will never come to see God actually work. Because until you and I are aware of our insufficiencies, we think that we're making it through life on our own. We think that we got it covered. We think we've got it. Made. We think that we've just by our own smarts, by our own skills, by our own abilities, we've made it happen and, and and can do it. And it kind of obscures the view. It's kind of like you, you know, you're trying to. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation. If you're driving, you know, in the city or or maybe if you're up in the mountains or whatever, you're trying to see something, but there's something in the way. You're like, if I could just look around it. And when you and I see only our resources, see only our abilities, and we think that we're the man or we've got it, we will comp- always 100% of the time miss God and his glory. And it's not that we're bigger than God, it's just that all of our abilities are right up close. You know, you can ha- you can hold something that's very small right in front of your face right here. And you can't see the biggest mountain in the world in front of you. So God is the biggest thing in the universe. He's out there. But we're so focused in on what we can do and our own abilities and our our little limited vision, and until God kind of peels that away, only until then can we see that God is really a God who is capable. Only then do we see that we're in trouble, we're not sufficient enough to solve the problem that we're in. That whether it's a financial issue of losing a job, I remember when Susan and I—I I think we'd been married, a, I don't know, maybe less than a year or so—we were. Uh, I was in seminary, living in Schenectady, and she was working initially just as a substitute teacher, and then got a job at a daycare. And knew I knew that God wanted me to be in ministry, and I knew that meant I needed to get some training and schooling. And so we were just kind of living literally week to week you know, hand-to-mouth kind of thing. And uh, as a student there, there was uh, a donor that had committed to give funds to students in the early days to help them live, and they they were actually giving us, I think, $400 a month. It covered actually our rent, but one month, just out of nowhere, they didn't give it. And we didn't have enough for rent without it. In fact, I remember going to our landlord like, here's $300, I'll have the other 100 in a week. First time we'd ever done that. Thankfully, it was the only time in our life I'd ever done that. Like, We hit the reality like, what are we going to do? Oh my goodness, just what are we going to do? You hit those moments in life, in relationships, situations. How are we going to get through this? I don't know what to do with this. The first funeral that I ever attended was actually a funeral that I performed myself. It was for a little baby. I was like 23 years old, I think, 23, 24. It was a SIDS death, a sudden infant uh, uh, death syndrome. Thank you. And a young couple had a little baby. I'm like maybe six months old and just in the night passed away. I was not sufficient as a twin, I'm not sufficient now, but I really wasn't then. To go to the hospital, to be with the family, to walk through that and to walk with them as they said goodbyes and all of that world. See, you and I are not sufficient for the challenges of life, for the hard things that come our way. And what God is wanting us to do is to realize in the middle of those insufficiencies, that's when we get a chance to see God at work. That's when God is able to show up. Jesus wanted Philip. Philip, I got a job for you to do. And this is way beyond what you can do. You, Philip, are dependent on me. What God is trying to do is for us to see his glory. And when we see his glory, it grows our faith and our love for him. Because when God shows up, and He takes care of us, and He walks through with us through those difficult situations, when He meets those needs in our lives, when He uses us to bless other people around us in ways that we don't know what we're going to do and how can we help them, what God is doing is showing how great He is and what He's trying to create in our heart is a confidence and a faith and a love in Him, that He is a God who's always got it under control, and we can depend on Him. So don't, when those things happen, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be frustrated or angry when you are insufficient to meet the challenges in front of you. Take a step back and realize that God is wanting to, in the middle of that, regardless of what's going on, that God is wanting to show up. And wanting you to rely on him, wanting you to turn to him, that God is trying to speak into your world and into your heart. So first thing is God wants us to be very well acquainted with our insufficiencies in this life. Second thing is, is when those circumstances hit, Jesus already sees the need and he knows what he's going to do. When those things hit, we act like, oh my goodness, I'm shocked by this. Where did this come from? I didn't know. Jesus kind of put a monkey on Philip's back, if you will. Philip, you need to buy lunch for these folks. Philip was probably minding his own business. He probably, I don't know, he was probably counting the butterflies, wondering what they were going to have for dinner themselves. I don't know what he was doing. But he was not thinking about making dinner arrangements for 5,000 hungry men and all the ladies and all the kids along. And God just said, Philip, I've got a little job for you to do. You see, when those circumstances, situations arise in our life, God already knows what he wants to do. He already sees the need. He sees the need before you and I actually see the need, and he already has a game plan. See, our job is to step back. We don't pray to God by saying, God, do you get this? Are you getting the message, God? There's something going on down here. I'm not sure if you realize this was happening or not. How often do our prayers like that? God, don't know if you're awake. Don't know if you're paying attention, but whoa! Prayer is really not us informing God what's going on. It's not us texting God and saying, God, did you, did you see this? Are you paying attention, God? Actually, when those things hit and we pray to God, it's us actually getting our life oriented to what God is doing. And we say, God, I know you already know this is going on. I already know you have a game plan. I am clueless. What do you want me to do? How should I respond? Is there anything, God, that I should be doing? What? Maybe I shouldn't be doing some things. God, what should I do in the middle of that? Too often you and I are like Andrew, maybe Philip. We immediately run the math. We do the numbers. We go surveying. We're probably trying to hit up a kid for his lunch money. Like, God want me to do this. And we try to solve it in our horizontal living and not really realizing that God wants to do a vertical thing. He wants to do something that only he can do in the middle of those situations. And Jesus had a game plan. He said, in essence, he already knew what he was gonna do. I'm guessing he knew the kid was there with the five loaves, and you know, the two little fish. Who knows? I get when we, we know Jesus is God and man, and there's some things as man that he didn't know, and there's some and when he yet he's God, he knows everything. And I don't know how that all worked, guys. But I mean, when you've made heaven and earth, he could just speak it and all of a sudden people could have had ten thousand little happy meals in their laps, you know, if he wanted to do them like he's God, he can kind of do whatever he wants to do. But instead, he chose to use a little boy's lunch and chose for the apostles to take something that's as, as ordinary and as simple as could be. Barley loaves were cheap. It was like the cheapest meal that you could ever make and feed, a, uh, feed somebody with less than wheat and all of that. Nutritious, but, but you know, poor of the poor. And to multiply it out across. He had a game plan. See, you and I should have tremendous confidence that when those circumstances arise in our life, that we can trust God. We don't know what's happening. It's a jolt to our system. It's a shock to us. It's, oh no, where did this come from? I didn't expect this. I didn't. When I got up today, I didn't know this was gonna happen. But it's not a surprise to God. What we have to do is to be patient and say, God, how should we respond? God never loses his cool, folks. He never gets nervous. He never gets worried. He never gets anxious. And we should take our cue from him. I'm not saying that we should never, our emotions shouldn't get charged. Absolutely. When storms blow in, I assure you, when I was paddling and trying to keep the water out of the canoe and get to the other side, there was a little moment I'm like, are we going to go in? Like, where is this going? It's normal. We're going to be afraid and we're going to have fears and worries. That's a part of life. But in the middle of that, and I was praying, God, give me wisdom. God, keep us safe. God, I don't want to do anything dumb. What should we do in this? That we take our cue from the God of heaven because he's not caught by surprise. Something that's significant with this, I want to make sure we get this, because i've been so far I've been focusing on the situations that hit us and our needs, but who really had the need? Was it Philip and the apostles? It wasn't it was the people around them. You see, God not only has his eyes on your needs and cares about you and the situations in your life before they hit, and He has a game plan already' it's been mapped out for your entire life, that God also is watching the needs and the situations of the people all around you, at work, in your neighborhood, in your family, and your friends. Just because, because the God of heaven has a relationship with you when you know him through his son Jesus, he cares about you, and he's paying attention to all the people around you. And he wants you to be a blessing to them. And he wants it to do it in a way, I'll talk more about this in a second, in a way that's beyond what you can do of your own resources, beyond your own abilities. He wants to do something beyond what you could even imagine or think. But he cares about those people. I wonder how often, it would not be hard for me, I'll put it on me instead instead of Philip, it's getting near dinner time. I'm like, hey, we've done some good things today. Jesus, you healed some people, you threw some demons out, did some good stuff. I am I don't know about you, I'm getting hungry. I'm getting tired. What are we going to have for dinner? I'd have been thinking about me. Let's be honest, right? Am I the only one if that's rolling around? That's what I'd have been thinking. I don't know what Peter was thinking, but that's what I would have been thinking. And yet here's Jesus concerned about the pragmatic, practical needs of the people around them. How often you and I go through life and we fail to really consider the needs around us. And sometimes it's because we think the needs are so great that we can't do much about it. And it's true if we're thinking about our own resources. But when we follow Jesus, he has a way of multiplying things and doing things beyond our own abilities. So really we need to step back and say, God, just like I want to listen to you when the things surface and you're trying to show me that I am insufficient to meet the challenges and the needs of my own life, God, you're showing me that I'm insufficient to meet the needs that you want to accomplish, the care that you want to show in the people around me. And we step back and say, God, what is it that you want to do in their life? God, what, what is it that you are wanting to accomplish in my workplace? God, what is it that you're wanting to accomplish in that relationship? How do you want to bless that person's life? And what do you want me to do to be a part of that? So we should step back and ask God what he's up to. If you spend any real time with Jesus, he's not only going to care about you and your soul, but he is caring about the souls and the people around you, and he wants to use you in their lives. That's the third thing that I want us to pay attention to. Not only does does God want to see our insufficiencies, not only does Jesus already see the need and cares and knows what he wants to do, not just in our life, but in the people around us, but God wants us to cooperate with him. He wants us to give what we have and what we don't have for other people. Think about this little boy. I, I really, I I know I joked earlier, Jesus took the kid's lunch money. I really have trouble seeing that he just took that. I think everything I think in Scripture, I think the little boy said here. Whether Andrew did it or Jesus did it, I don't know. But I would love to have seen that go down. I really, that's one of those stories I want to hear. I just would just be phenomenal to hear how that happened. But that little boy gave his entire supper away to feed all of those people. There's a lesson in here for us. John didn't want us to miss this. The other writers don't write about it so much. But this little boy gave everything he had. And he knew, I don't know how old he was, but he knew that that little bit couldn't feed everybody. But he knew his little bit could feed somebody, right? And God has a way of taking what little we have and multiplying it and doing far more with it than we ever expected. So what God wants is for you and I to simply say, God, all that I have belongs to you. What would you like to do with it? I sacrificially, I give it to you, God, belongs to you. And when we do that, God has a way of using those things far beyond. Like the situation we did when I talked about doing that funeral, just even walking through that whole process. you don't ever, there's no classes that can teach you anything about that. I don't care how old you are, but on top of it, I, you know, I was 23, 24 years old. I had not had any major losses in my own life. Both all, my both sets of my grandparents were alive. I had, I had not known anybody personally that I deeply cared about. I had never walked through that whole, you know, environment. But you just trust God and are present. And you share what he shares with you, and you talk and you pray and you cry, and you you walk forward in those those situations, and what little bit I had God used to bless others, and that's what he wants to do in your life, so often you and I look at our own little lunch, we go to work or wherever we think, "I don't have anything. What have I got that you know could help anybody else and God wants to use that little bit to do far more in their life than you could ever imagine or dream of. So don't despise the five loaves and two fish that God gave you. He wants to use it. He wants to multiply it. He wants to use it in people's lives far beyond what you could ever imagine. So don't, we live as, as Americans, our culture, we like it loud and proud and bigger is better. That's the way we are. Go bigger. go home and our whole world around us. And there's an aspect of that. I think God kind of rolls that way. I think that's what the whole stars and the universes are about. God did it just because he can. (laughs) And we've never found the end of it. Just because he can. But most often in our lives, God tends to use the smaller stuff, doesn't he? So don't despise those and instead have the attitude of can do. Not the attitude of I can do and I don't need you, God. It's a can do attitude that God, you can do. In the world around me you can do it what do you what do I have that you want me to give that will be helpful second thing with that not only do does he want us to use what we have the five loaves and two fish but he wants us to give what we don't have see the Apostles brought nothing to this table I love it none of the Apostles had lunch This wasn't any of their stuff. It was just some little random boy. And they had nothing. And we know from the other Gospels that they're the ones that we're serving. They're going back and forth. Is that enough? Oh, okay, I'll get you some more. They're going back and forth. 15,000 people. I mean, I don't know how many acres that is. You'll do the math. I didn't bother to sit down. I didn't do well in geometry. I don't know how much space each person packed in and spread it out. But they're going back and forth. Multiple trips. I'm picturing Jesus just kept reaching into the basket and handing out food, and every time he went back, there was five more, you know, loaves and two more little fish. You know, and just kept going back and forth and back and forth. They gave what they didn't have, and in fact, Jesus, because he's so thorough, he said, "Hey, now that we've given everybody, and the Bible's so clear, he gave them what they needed, and they ate to their fill till they didn't need anything else, and they collected 12 baskets of fragments left over." And those apostles went back and collected them. Now, can you imagine when they went out and collected them? Do you know, probably some of those people weren't that grateful. Probably, like, yeah, the fish was a little dry. I've had better barley cakes before. It was okay. I won't ding you too hard on Yelp or the local you know, food critic or whatever. But I bet a lot of people were like, thank you. Thank you so much. You know how humbling that would have been for those apostles? Like, I didn't do anything. Like it wasn't my food like Jesus did. Thank you so much for this. Oh, I'm, You know how humbling that would have been? They would have seen the hand of God work profoundly and powerful. That No no wonder why this miracle, beyond all the others, were reported by all of them. It changed their lives prof- profoundly. You see, God wants to use and you to give away that which you don't even have. He wants to, to do things in your life that are beyond you to help other people, far beyond. How often you and I are like, Philip, God, we can't do that because we just don't have enough money. Sorry, that would be really nice to do, but that's way beyond us. Yeah, all we got is just this little thing over here. Can't do any of that, God. I wonder how often you and I have missed the work that God wants to do through us as conduits, believing that he can accomplish things through his resources, not even just through our own resources, by us simply obeying and daring to step out and to be available to him and that in life. Now I really wonder what God wants to do through you and the lives of people around you. I really wonder. I, I, Jesus, the Bible says God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus did this two thousand years ago, He's still the same today. Guess what He wants to do today? He wants us to be a, a conduit that He passes through His blessings and His grace in the people's lives. Is it? Is it always about food? Nope. You see, Jesus, when we see him operating, what he was really after was people's souls. And the rest of chapter 6, I haven't figured out if we're going to take one week or two weeks to do it, but he makes it clear that, yeah, he fed the people, but he fed the people as a sign to show them the way of salvation, to show them grace that he could forgive and wanted to forgive them of their sin and give them eternal life. He gave them physical bread that they might have spiritual bread. He gave them physical life so that they might have spiritual life. And so God wants us to pragmatically and practically to help people in ways, but all along what he's trying to get at is people's souls, that they can experience salvation, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and all of those things through him. But oftentimes it starts by these little things. And Jesus did this regularly. It's what the miracles are about, to point toward him. He did these little acts of, little to us, big to those people, but did these these acts of mercy so that he could help people eternally. And I wonder how God wants to and what he's doing in your life. So maybe there's something that's popped up, an idea in your head, and maybe you backed up from it. Maybe it's so big you thought this could never happen, Let me challenge you. You probably ought to put that back on the table and pray about it and say, God, what would you have me to do? And are you in this or not? Now, every idea that pops in your head is not God's, but some of them are. And shame on us when we dismiss those so quickly, like a Philip and like an Andrew. But maybe... Maybe that hasn't popped into your mind, but maybe there's other situations. Maybe you're more with where you are today, kind of at the very beginning, just wondering, like, I don't know what this is beyond me. I don't know what to do. And maybe what you needed to hear this morning is that God has got this, and you simply need to pray, trust Him, seek counsel from Him. Maybe you even need to seek counsel from other godly people to help you understand God's, what God would have in Into that situation, but to simply trust Him and to walk forward today and tomorrow and the next day. But maybe God has some other things in your life. I think of those of you that are being asked about serving as deacons. Any pastor or deacon worth being a pastor or deacon probably takes two steps back. When you get asked, it's probably like, I really wasn't, I I don't know. That's kind of beyond me. Maybe you're in that boat wondering. Don't dismiss what God wants to do in your life. Maybe you look at yourself and say, I don't know that I have anything to offer. It's good. You're in good company. Philip and Andrew didn't either. None of the apostles did. But God wants to potentially to use you to bless others profoundly in your life. So I don't know what God is speaking in your soul this morning, but I challenge you to don't miss those little opportunities that God wants to do bigger things in other people's life through you. Don't miss those. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his grace and his love. Lord, you send us out as your agents into the world all around us every single day. Father, we interact with so many people from em- our employers, our bosses, our customers people that, that serve us when we're in stores or in restaurants, delivery drivers, we see our neighbors. Father, there are just so many people around us. And God, I confess, even as a pastor, I get overwhelmed because I know the needs spiritually are so immense, enormous around us. And it's overwhelming but, Father, would you help us to have the little attitude of that little boy that you can do and just to give up our lunch money and to give up what little we have and to give a piece of our life and a piece of our day and a piece of whatever, <laughs> whatever little resource that you're really the one that gave us to us in the first place. And, Lord, would you use that? profoundly in the lives of people around us. Father, would you help us to be that individually, to be that as families, and to be that as a church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.